This episode was produced in cooperation with the ETH Entrepreneur Club, a student organization which aims to inspire, educate, and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs. The ETH Entrepreneur Club holds more than 40 events every year, resulting in an impressive alumni list of successful startups. If you want to keep up with their busy agenda, make sure to give them a follow on social media. Boys are a lot more daring. So when they have code and, it's, and they just try it and it's all red, and they're just like, they raise their hand and they're like, hey, it doesn't work. And But if you have a girl who you don't have like a good set foundation, you just say, hey, try it out. And she feels a little insecure when it's all red. She doesn't want to try it. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Laura, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. You're the co-founder and instructor at Girls Code 2, a coding academy for girls striving to breach the gender gap in STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Mathematics. Before we talk about that, I actually want to start with your personal background. You completed your uh, BS at the UC Irvine in California, and then a few years later, you decided to pursue a Master's of Science at the ETH here in Switzerland. Why was ETH in Switzerland the right choice for you? So I'll, I guess, take a step back sure. and then explain a little bit of the story. So I was working in a traumatic brain injury lab in, um, in UCSF, and so UC San Francisco, and a neighboring postdoc, um, she was working in another lab. She did her all her studies at ETH. And so when I was looking for a program, she really told me how it was such an amazing school and they give you such such great support. And so then I kind of searched and I found this program. It's called Neural Systems and Computation. So for me, it was extremely perfect because it was a blend of neuroscience, data science, and electrical engineering. So I kind of get a little hands on everything and then see what I like the best. And so then I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like uh, the perfect school with the perfect program for you at that time. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> But, you know, coming from the U.S. to Switzerland, I imagine that's quite a different game or a different environment. How mm -hmm. was that transition for you? Was that very easy or was it difficult in some parts? It was at first very, very difficult. So for me, it was getting actually just used to, you know, being in an environment with a different language, mm -hmm. constantly in a different language. And my program was in English, so that was good for me. But to be able to not be to not be able to communicate with the people at the grocery store, for example, the transition was extremely hard. But you know, I had great classmates and a great support system around that made the transition later on a lot easier. <laughs> During that time, you know, when the beginning was hard, have you ever thought about going back to the U.S. and say, "Hey, I tried. <laughs> That's just not for me." Yeah, um, I'd say the first full year, it yeah. really took me a year to be like, okay. Let me try it and see if I like it. And if not, you know, I, I just go back and then, you know, I have I have my family and friends over there. So we'll see <laughs> where it goes. What then helped you to, you know, really arrive in, in Switzerland? So I really had all of these, I guess, extracurricular activities, you know. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I would try playing soccer with, you know, random people nice. or taking a pottery class or a dance class and you know, really trying to just explore myself. And then when I really got to know more and more people, I started to feel, I guess, more centered at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was it was a good transition period. Yeah. But it, it takes a lot of work, though. It's not that yeah. you just it just happens. And usually, so when I was growing up, it just happens, right? And sure. for this, it was really, I put myself out there and I really try to reach out. And yeah. that worked. <laughs> I want to say you really had to put in the effort to, you know, have these encounters and get to know other people, yeah. which can help you to arrive mm -hmm. to Switzerland. Yeah. And you mentioned your activity. So during your master's, you also became a coding instructor and camp manager at the TechSpark Academy, a Swiss coding academy for kids. Why was the focus on kids? What was, uh, you know, what was your interest behind that? So it practically... 
what I guess how I view kids in the future is mm -hmm. so they are, I guess, the building blocks. And so if you can kind of shift at how they think and or how they perceive themselves and things like that, you can really affect how the second generation is going to be. Mm -hmm. And so if you instill a lot of, I guess, you know, respect, you teach kids how to respect each other and not not to bully and things like that and have them stand up as a community with each other, then you will then have that later on as they're an adult, right? And then they will create that sense of community and support other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the thing about kids. <laughs> that's the, the perfect moment to start, basically, mm -hmm. to have an impact. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it's fresh. And then they also have, they're fresh in a lot of ideas. And mm -hmm. so by having all of those ideas and having them, okay, you know, I can't, for example, if they have an issue with school mm -hmm. and then, you know, it's like, okay, well, how do you solve that, for example? And then how right. do you have them learn and be part of the, the learning table as well? Amazing. Mm -hmm. And then in, in 2020, you finished your studies to create an association, which was dissolved a year later. Was that a sort of a trial run for Girls Code 2? So... A little bit of a yes and no. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you a little bit about that story. Please, yeah. So they, the previous association had the same, I, I guess, um, belief and mission in, in mind. And mm -hmm. so it was to really, you know, teach girls how to code and really inspire them and show them what technology can do. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a little bit of a few mishaps and... The thing is, is that if you create an association that doesn't have a strong foundation or a strong set of rules or a strong set of guidelines, then you can run into issues when there are disagreements. And so this first association was based a lot on trust and we didn't really have this strong structure. Mm -hmm. And so when there became a disagreement on who can be on the board, and so we had one of the women on the board who she wanted to bring family members on. And... We all disagreed with it, but when you don't have a strong structure of who can be on the board, what are the guidelines, how do you set it up, you end up having a lot of disagreements, and all of those disagreements will lead to your energy of fighting. And then where does the mission go? Nowhere. And so in order for that to kind of get more resolved, what we did is, you know, we split and, you know, they do it their way and we do it ours. And mm -hmm. that way, everyone's happy and you can focus right on the mission. But on top of that, it's, you know, if you have these strong guidelines, then you also, you know, if there is a disagreement, for example, for um, intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a company who you're based on trust, right, you and the people that there, you just assume that this is all going to be OK. And it will until there's a disagreement. And then you go back to the foundation. And so when you have a strong foundation, you prevent all of this mishap. And that is what I learned with this association. And so we spent a lot of time really having all of the details and guidelines. What happens if somebody leaves? What happens if, you know, there is a disagreement and things like that? Or, you know, how do we call emergency meetings? Because all of those things in the end are extremely important. But when you're creating something new, everything is new. And, you know, you have this huge list of things to do. And then you figure out that, the foundation is one of the most important things at the very end of the day. So, yeah, that's that's what happened. But now it's all settled and we're all good to go now. <laughs> what I like, you said, it's still, you know, you started with your mission and you still follow the same mission today. Mm -hmm. So that just sounds like a little detour, a learning experience mm -hmm. to really get things right for the real setup. But you still followed your mission from day one, basically. So yeah. that really hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. And, you know, it's... It's, I guess that's the driving thing about this is that, you know, we, we really have our mission. And if you keep everybody on the team aligned and it's like, okay, this is our goal, then you can work all together simultaneously rather than, you know, having all of these different disputes. So realigning and figuring that out is also a great way to help <laughs> resolve any disputes. Absolutely. You know, I wonder, you know, you're so energized when you talk about even, you know, these days mm -hmm. where things didn't go well. Where does your entrepreneurial drive to to change things in the world and to start and push your own projects and initiatives, where does your entrepreneurial drive come from? So I think there there are some people that really sit there and, and they can see the problem and then they don't do anything about it. And for me, 
it was more that I had the capacity to do something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had this skill set that I could really teach really well and I could communicate with children. And I have this set. And so why not try to make that change happen? Mm -hmm. And just sitting around, it kind of lets you feel like you're not doing anything. And for me, as I could leave the world knowing that I made it a little bit better for the few girls that, you know, I really touched. Yeah. And so that's where that kind of drive comes from. <laughs> Amazing. And then in 2021, you actually founded Girls Code 2 together with two co-founders. So, of course, you, but then also David and Alicia. So you had taught kids how to code before, but now you wanted to teach girls, especially. Why was that the right focus? Oh, so um, there, I guess there's a little bit of my experience involved in this. And so when you teach boys and girls, there's a whole different environment that you have inside a classroom. And so boys are a lot more they're they're a lot more daring. So when they have code and it's and they just try it and it's all red yeah. and they're just like they raise their hand and they're like, hey, it doesn't work. Yeah. And but if you have a girl who you don't have like a good set foundation, you just say, hey, try it out. Mm -hmm. And she feels a little insecure when it's all red. She doesn't want to try it. And so the thing is, is that we have a huge focus on, you know, changing the way that we actually teach computer science. Mm -hmm. And then so you have it more that you give them a good baseline. You have them ha think of it like playtime, get them used to all of the errors, the mistakes. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It's normal. But really, once you get a young girl, like even eight years old, mm -hmm. just, you know, just over this little bump, it completely changes their game. And then their whole code can be read and they go, yeah, but it's like, if you can, if I can do it, that I mean, you know, it's like we, we can all do it together. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's it's this um if you really change the way that they think, then you can kind of just put that focus on them and mm. then they might like it a little bit better. No, if, if we zoom out a bit, right? And if we look at how underrepresented, you know, girls or women in, in tech are, how do you currently see that the current state of women in tech, is that also something that is closely linked to your mission and your cause? Mm -hmm. So um, for me, I... I'm lucky that now my, my team is a little bit more representing of women. And then mm -hmm. so there's three of us women on the team. Um, so, so the developers, for example. And the thing is, though, is that when you're only one woman in a team, let's say, of, of 10 men, mm -hmm. you can still feel that, you know, the jokes are not as representative for you. And it helps to just have somebody notice. I know this is it's it's not the, I guess, the most normal for everybody. But for example, if some a girl just says, oh, you know, you got a haircut, it looks really nice. But usually men don't notice those kind of things normally. <laughs> and then so it's kind of nice to also have that kind of vibe inside the environment. Uh, but it's getting there. So slowly, slowly, you know, I can see the difference and I can see a little bit more of the growth. Mm -hmm. But from other, you know, other uh, women that I talk to inside their environments it's still not growing as nicely so you know step by step we're making it happen but yeah. you know it's still gloomy <laughs> there's still a lot of work to be done yeah and i wonder you've lived in the u.s you now live in switzerland do you notice any differences between the two country when it comes to the state of women in tech comparing united states and switzerland mm -hmm. so practically the thing is, is that before um, with Girls Code 2, so we were looking, okay, you know, what, what other organizations are there? And inside the U.S., there is a, an organization called Girls Who Code. And they're you know, very big. And they, so the idea was that at first we were going to go and say, hey, we, we bring you over over here into yeah. Switzerland. And they said, no, we, you know, we're not expanding and things like that. So but we were also thinking, you know, why why isn't there one here for, you know, a, a club for girls, like to create a community and having them interact and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so th that's how it kind of got started is that, you, you know, over there that we already had it in the U.S., but then right now we didn't have it. So yeah. why not get it started? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So would you say it's fair to say that Switzerland is lacking a bit behind with these kind of developments, you know, maybe three, four, five years behind the, the U.S. trends? Yeah, I mean, 
so this organization has been around for quite a while oh. and then so i would say that there is uh and the thing is is that um also so in some rural areas they if you actually teach for example the kids in zurich and mm -hmm. in, in with another canton um it the thing is is that if the the schools didn't have exposure to to computers we've seen that they actually, we teach them at a different level. So mm. for example, they don't know the, the, the basics of like how, I guess, you know, control alt delete, you know, trying to figure yeah. out if the computers um, will go into like a, man a managerial function or not. Mm -hmm. And the kids don't really know those types of things. And so it's more of teaching them, okay, how to get used to the computers. And so we actually have a lot of collaborations. And I also want to talk about your founding team, right? Um, David and Alicia, where have you actually met your co-founders? How did that happen? Ah, so um, David actually, he sent an email saying that he would like to volunteer. And it he had said in, when I when I interviewed him, he said like, oh, hey, um, I would like to volunteer. Like, how, how can I help? And, you know, it, it was and he said, because I'm a male, it was a little bit hard for him to to you know kind of say like hey I want to help out mm -hmm. and then but he did and I I'm very very grateful to this day that he's on our team and he's a, a tremendous help all the time Amazing. and then um Felicia she's my very very good friend and you know we've known each other for quite a long time and she is she has this mind to help things grow and for I thought she would be the perfect person for the team mm -hmm. that, you know, hi, we have this idea and then we have this, this plan is like, but how do we expand it? How do we make this happen? How do we make those connections? And she was really the glue to really helping us, you know, grow and grow. So it sounds been... like the perfect team. <laughs> it has been. <laughs> and together you set up Girls Code 2 as a nonprofit. Why was the nonprofit set up the, the right one for you? So practically... For us, it was more of a, we wanted to do good. And it was at the end of the day, we weren't looking to, you know, make money from this. Mm -hmm. And then so it was like we wanted to really try to make this community feeling. And in order to make this community feeling that we all help each other out, we really wanted to say, hey, this is not about the money. This is really about the mission. And so this nonprofit status was really to help. Um, propagate this idea yeah so it's it's in your dna in the legal setup to really say hey we walk the talk yeah exactly and i also want to focus on what you actually offer and what you actually do so what sort of guidance and support do you provide the girls okay so we have a few d different steps mm -hmm. and then so for example we'll have introductory workshops that are very short and in, in and like short snippets of coding so for example you learn a little bit what javascript is or mm -hmm. you know how how do you how do you build a website or what is you know cybersecurity and how do you keep safe online and then you have step two where it's the second pillar where you're like the girls are a little bit more interested they'll spend a few more days and so you know we have like these workshops between three and five days mm -hmm. that they will learn a specific skill so at the end of it they have some a game to take home or a website or a mobile app cool and you know it really helps them grow and then the third step is you know let's say the girl's interested she has a set of skills how do we get that to the next level you know mm -hmm. how how do you build a project and things like that and so that that's really guiding them from the very beginning, you know, getting them interested to, you know, having them, okay, let, let's learn the skill. And then how do you make this skill an actual like output of a product? And so that's like our three little hierarchies. But in between as well, it's really important to have this sense of um, self and empowerment. And I, I don't think that they teach that enough during, in schools, you know, right. how do you learn how to be comfortable with your own voice when you ask a question? How do you make sure that, you know, you don't feel like a, like a little stupid for asking it? And so these are really important things that we're also integrating into our workshops. And so we have collaborators that, you know, will, will help and, and things like that. So we're slowly getting there. <laughs> so on top of the coding skills, you also take away some real life skills, basically. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I mean, one of the big things is that we want them to also ask questions. And mm -hmm. so the thing is, is that you know, they if the more that you engage them or, you know, you get to know them and kind of have these these classes tailored to what is interesting for them, mm -hmm. it's very important for their next steps as well. Yeah. And 
Yeah. And your focus is on eight to 18 year old girls. Uh, is it more difficult or very purposefully chosen by you to not go beyond or above 18 years? So yes and no. So at 18, um, the reason that we kind of picked that was that, you know, I guess they're practically going into university. And right. then so for them, that there's also, it's a different type of teaching and a different, also a different approach to learning and things mm -hmm. like that. And then, so that's why we stuck to eight to 18 is because at this point, you're not really set on, you know, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And right. at this stage, we want, we want to more inspire and like, yeah, I kind of show you, okay, here, here are a range of things that you could learn. It's like, here, this is what you could possibly do. And our assumption was that at 18, you know, you kind of already have like a little bit of an idea what path you want to take. Right. And so that that's how that came about. Is your goal after, you know, they joined you and then they went through your program that they would then join a university and continue the education there? Is that sort of the expectation or mm -hmm. not really? No. So then... Um, there's actually a few things as well. So mm -hmm. we we work with some um, a few collaborators that what we do is, for example, an apprenticeship program, which I think is underrated in the sense that, you know, they don't that we are not promoting it as much. Mm -hmm. And so women who um, so I guess young girls who are applying to these apprenticeship programs, um, the numbers are super, super low. And right. so it, in that sense as well, you know, they can also go down that route. Mm -hmm. And but the other thing is, is that it doesn't have to be that the the woman or the young girl has to go to university for this. It's more like they get comfortable with this idea of, you know, technology and that it's not just, you know, a male dominated field. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of creative things that you can do with this. And you could think that, you know, fashion design is super creative, but also creating websites, you know, is also or creating like the designs of the mobile apps, things like that, you know, kind of inspiring the different aspects of technology as well. So you don't have to go to university for it. <laughs> Perfect. Se. I fully agree <laughs> with that statement. <laughs> if you look at your website, um, it's also obvious that there are all female instructors that actually, you know, teach your courses. Is that something that you did intentionally or did it just happen, you know, by accident? Um, so it's it's not intentional, um, but at this, but right now we actually do have some male instructors. Mm -hmm. We just haven't updated our website <laughs> at the <Fair> moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that for our male and female instructors, um, whenever we have a class, we always want a female instructor present because mm -hmm. it serves as a mentor to, to the young girls, right? Somebody kind of to look up to or, you know, to relate to. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to have that figure in there because what makes the girl want to do coding if there's only two male instructors, yeah. for example. So yeah. it's it's a kind of more of an inspiration kind of like a hopeful inspiration that, you know, you have somebody that can help you out later on. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that some of the teachers also serve as role models. And I think that's crucial to then see where you can go, you know, after starting to learn how to code. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so um, before each of the classes, I actually, I ask the instructors to give them a little bit of a background about themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's mainly, okay, what what are they studying? How did they get there? What do they like and what do they not like? Because the not like is also quite important, right? It's getting to know, okay, you know, is this the thing for me? Because I'm not saying that every girl should be a coder. Of course. It's just that, you know, let, let's open up the idea, if the possibility of you doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> Some of your workshops uh, sell for 150 Swiss francs, others for 395 Swiss francs. So I also wondered, there's sort of a pricing logic behind it. How do they come up with the pricing? So practically, we want to just cover our costs. Mm -hmm. And so we don't make any money from the, the actual workshops that we host. Yeah. And then we are mainly based on, you know, donations and crowdfundings and corporate sponsorships and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that really helps keep the rest of it afloat. But the pricing is just based on, okay, how many hours are we teaching? And then what are the costs for it, such as the laptops or, right. you know, the devices and things like that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's like super low cost. Yeah. But that's important to be able to, you know, pursue your mission and make it accessible. Exactly. And then that was the thing is that there are private 
um, companies that do this, but they charge a lot more. Right. And then so, you know, we are trying to reach that that the price isn't the issue. And so we had once a workshop and they, they said, oh, you know, it's like, oh, it was, it was 50 francs. And then they said, oh, but is, is it 50 francs per class? And we said, no, no, it's 50 <laughs> francs for the whole set of workshops. And they said, oh, that's that's really cheap. I was like, yeah. yes. But so then that money isn't an issue. And mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that that's the case. Again, here walking the talk, basically, <laughs> right? So I also want to talk about challenges. And, you know, you're set up as a nonprofit. You all have a day job, basically, next to doing what you do. And I wonder... Is that sometimes a difficult situation, you know, to balance your nonprofit work while still having a day job for you in your case as a front end software engineer at Avalok? So, yes. And so if you, you know, at first it's it's a dream come true, right? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to also run this nonprofit. And the thing you don't realize is that you start to dedicate all of your nights and weekends to this. Mm -hmm. And because it's your passion project, you really start to give it your all. And then you start to realize that all of the, the things that you love start to kind of slowly go away and disappear because, you know, nights, you know, you schedule in the, the dinners with your friends and the rest of them are going to be meetings or then yeah. answering emails or then, you know, on Saturday mornings, I was teaching the classes. And so, you know, you slowly start to realize that you are not Superman <laughs> and you cannot just, you know, <laughs> do everything all at once. Yeah. So it, it's it's been a huge challenge, and but slowly I started to figure out okay you know like setting boundaries for example okay you mm -hmm. know at at this time period I'm not going to be working on anything anymore and then you know it just has to go on to the next day and right. it's okay like it can go on to the next day and nobody's going to die it's not heart surgery yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> but I mean at the same time you know that can be a very intense additional stressor to your life, despite all the good things, you know, that you, of course, get get out of it, the, the impact that you have, etc. But that can also lead to a burnout eventually with all the stress that you put on top of your day job and that you sort of also create for yourself. Is that a topic that you have faced yourself? Yes. Um, this actually happened last year. And so it was an intense period. And so I think the thing is, is that you, you slowly start, it slowly starting starts at first. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you start to just, okay, it's fine. And then every hour of your day is scheduled from when you wake up to, you know, when you go to sleep and then yeah. you know, every eating time and then, you know, picking up groceries, every errand is scheduled in. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is that you start to forget, okay, you know, um, let, let's say going out to have date night or, mm -hmm. you know, going out to see friends or, you know, doing something casual as watching a movie on the weekends. You start to give all of that up. And those are the, I guess, building blocks of what makes you you. Mm -hmm. And when you start to kind of take those building blocks away, so, you know, family, you start to like spend less with and then, you know, yeah. the friends as well. And then you put all of this on one pillar and which is going to go into work. And then you start to feel like an imbalance inside your life. And mm -hmm. and then when you start to have this imbalance, then everything you do starts to become a chore. And even eating becomes a chore and sleeping yeah. becomes there's not there's not enough time to go to sleep because then you have so many other things on your list. And then you can kind of then every single day it's, you know, you feel more and more fatigued and you feel more that it's it's the world is so heavy mm -hmm. and when you start to see all of this, you realize that you're in a space that it's not really quite right. And then you start to Google all of this. <laughs> and then you figure out that you're in the whole burnout scenario where everything is, you know, you you have missed, you messed up all of your life pillars and you put everything in one category. And even though you love it and it's your passion, it's still not enough because you've given up everything else inside your life. And mm -hmm. so there's just this huge imbalance. And so the, this has taken me quite a while to, you know, figure out. And even if you take a break, you know, you go on a holiday with some friends yeah. for, I think it was five days, and I still couldn't stop talking about, you know, what I have to do and things like that. Yeah. And you're still going at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's quite an intense thing. But the first thing you have to kind of realize is, you know, 
when you get to this stage is that you you have to kind of realize that what is happening inside what is bringing you happiness what brings you happiness and mm -hmm. what what's going on because you can't just put all your eggs in one basket and be like it's gonna be okay <laughs> like you know you have to kind of diversify your happiness a little sure. bit so you know i think that kind of realizing okay you know when you start to feel tired and when that the, the things that bring you happiness, when you do them and suddenly they disappear and you don't mm -hmm. have happiness anymore, or it doesn't bring you as much and you still feel so weighed down, you're yeah. in a not so happy space. And then it's really then you take a step back and be like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, what what do I need to bring me happiness? And taking that step back. And the other, I, it took me quite a lot of time um, enjoying boredom. And so boredom is the act of doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's easier said than done. Yeah, in exactly. That case, right? And then, but you know, and it then suddenly, you know, you kind of like, you, you have to start enjoying boredom. And then mm -hmm. you can kind of, I guess, enjoy, like start to enjoy a little bit of life. Mm -hmm. And when you enjoy boredom, you also get the best ideas because your, oh, yeah. your brain is an empty slate. And so you can kind of think and be like, hey, look, I have, you know, I have this great idea, but if you're constantly hustling from mm -hmm. A to B to C to D, you know, you you don't have time to think of great yeah. ideas. <laughs> I, I once read that. I don't know how it, the, the quote exactly went, mm -hmm. but it was really like the greatest ideas, they only come once you're bored because then you have room to think. Your brain is rested and you're not in this emergency mode of, okay, next task, next task. That's mm -hmm. actually where the good stuff is hidden. So you need to give yourself time and room to uncover the good ideas that are somewhere hidden in your brain. <laughs> Completely agree. My friend says this like the shower is also a great place. <laughs> oh, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I, it's, it's super important to have this yeah. sense of boredom, I think. <laughs> so you, you were talking about the symptoms of burnout, right? And I imagine if you're in the middle of that, it's super difficult to actually realize that this is happening to you and maybe also to even just acknowledge it. So I'm really grateful that you are now looking back with us here and, and can sort of say, okay, this is how I see it now. To someone who might be in that situation without even realizing it, you know, what are some tips or recommendations that you have for people who don't feel quite right, but it's hard for them to pinpoint it and to, to fully understand what's going on? How do you realize it? And what do you do once you realize it? So practically, I think that if you kind of start to lose this sense of happy. So let, let's say you like to go to the gym all the mm -hmm. time and, but going to the gym becomes a chore and then you really lose that motivation yeah. or, you know, let's say painting, for example, as sure. well. Then I think that you can kind of take a step back and then try to see what's causing it because there's always a cause to, you know, why, like what's going through your mind during this, like what, why is, why, do you, what's causing this unhappiness? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is that you should always schedule rest time too. And I don't think people do that enough. It's that, you know, kind of acknowledge that you're only a human being and mm -hmm. that if you're in this burnout phase, and I know that, you know, hustling from A to B to C to D <laughs> is, it, it feels like the world to you. But if you literally take a step back and then, you know, if, if you're able to, you know, kind of um, delegate it to somebody else and be like, mm -hmm this is a little bit too much for me. I just need to take a step back for a little bit. Um, it helps a lot because my team was really supportive and I told them, you yeah. know, this is how I'm feeling. I can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, just delegating and re really reducing it and focusing on you just for like, I think it was two weeks that I was already starting to feel a bit better, yeah. but it still is two weeks, right? Two weeks is sure. a lot of time for everything going chaotic. Yeah. But if, you're in the lucky position that you can delegate. And if you can't, then, you know, prioritize what are the most important things mm -hmm. and what are the most important things inside your life? Because you need to find that balance of like, okay, let's take a step back. What's the, what are the best things for you? Like, mm -hmm. what are the best things that make you happy and sad? And, um, and then, you know, just kind of just spread everything out and things yeah. and it should work out, hopefully. <laughs> I know this is very personal, very individual, but you mentioned these different pillars or the different baskets, right? Mm -hmm. What are those for you? What are the different pillars that you now diversify and build your life up on? So um, 
I practically have four mm -hmm. and it's practically um, family. So family's, you know, a huge one for me and also friends, you know, that that sense of community is mm -hmm. really important because they are the backbones. And but on top of that, then there's the passion in the work, you know, what, mm -hmm. what am I doing with my life? Of course. And the fourth one is, you know, my so myself and mm -hmm. The thing is, is a lot of people don't acknowledge that one, but really, how do you improve or how, you know, how do you make yourself better and things mm -hmm. like that? And I noticed that if I don't even do that, for example, I stopped painting. And when you stop doing something that you love, it's it really, it doesn't bring back anything to you at the end of the day as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, so th those are the four things in my life that I really need to stay focused on and, you know, I, I, to this day, I schedule them in. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's what happens when you have a busy life. <laughs> but, you know, at least I never neglect any of them. You know, yeah. I, I always set time for each of those categories. Nice. So how do you organize that? Do you really like put them on the calendar and say, today I paint for one hour from seven to eight in the evening, for example? <laughs> yes, I do. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it work, I guess it works for me. So I look at yeah. my calendar and I actually plan, like, let's say in a week in advance, I look at how my week's going to be next week, for example. Mm -hmm. What are my free days? When, Which ones am I going to spend with, you know, friends? Which ones am I going to spend for myself? Which ones yeah. am I going to spend family? And, and then passion projects. And then, you know, I really schedule each of those in. And then you have seven days in the week. So, you know, one each week, I mean, which one each day is pretty good. And then the rest right. of it, it's boredom days. And so, you know, it really works out. I mean, that that's personally for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just works. But if you schedule it in and then say, hey, nothing goes inside this slot, then you really can't say, hey, I, I'm going to go work right now. Exactly. I need to get it done. It's yeah. like, no, I have something scheduled in. I'm sorry. <laughs> of course. Do you also yeah. have like a hard cutoff time where you say, at this hour, I stop reading emails or I just stop work in general? Um. Yes and no. I think it just, it really depends on my day. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's say I had a slow morning, for example, then I will kind of push that down to at night, but I, I really try not to work, um, right before bedtime. And then, mm -hmm. so, you know, I kind of leave myself this relaxation time right before or else right before, if I work, mm -hmm. then my mind is racing like crazy. And which is also bad that, you know, you don't get that full night's rest or that relaxation, Absolutely. which can also lead, you know, to some not nice mental <laughs> states later. Sure. In in that regard, I also love that, you know, to think about what is good for me and what could I optimize. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really helped me, I'm lucky to work with a lot of U.S. customers. So usually I have more quiet mornings, so I don't need to get up that early. But to take the mornings or the, the first hours to myself and there, you know, go to the gym, go for a walk, whatever, and put myself first there before starting to work, that made a huge difference because then you had already won the day sort of, yeah. and only then you start to work. Well, normally, you know, we get up, we rush to work, then we're already stressed in the evening, we come home, we're too tired to go to the gym or to do anything else. And then that's just a lot of frustration. But if you put yourself first, that made a huge difference by that little change. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. As like a colleague and I, we started going to the gym in the morning and we Amazing. figured out it is like <laughs> this huge burst of energy and you start off so, I, I guess, well-rounded as well. Exactly. Completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> and the last question on that topic, I saw you're wearing an Apple watch, I think. Do you also <laughs> track any metrics, you know, on like health metrics where you say, I want to track my sleep or my resting heart rate, whatever comes to mind to sort of track that state to see, am I doing well? I actually track how many steps I take. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I mean, that's practically the only thing that I've been tracking yeah. just because it's more of a, a thing of I need to make, so it also tracks how much I stand up, mm -hmm. which I think is completely, you know, if it says, if it tells me I've been sitting for too long and I need to go stretch, yeah completely it's it's like a okay you know it reminds me that my body is not meant to be just stationary it's really right. important to really focus on okay what are the body movements that are going to make it long lasting okay when i'm older as mm -hmm. well and so being in this stationary position all day is really bad so the the whole steps thing if i didn't walk enough and the whole it will really tell me like oh hey you haven't you haven't stood up for a while 
Um, but I've also discovered this whole, this breathe uh, as well, mm -hmm. um, where it will notify you, hey, it was like, you know, take one minute to just focus on your breath. And it really, it's right. it's extremely relaxing as well. So highly recommend it if you haven't tried it. <laughs> Perfect. It's sometimes the little things that can make a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> so continuing with the challenges, and by the way, thank you for being so open about the the burnout topic. I think it's it's wonderful to just share what we experienced and what works, what didn't work to learn from each other. Yeah. I And then I hope that, you know, for everybody as well, it's that, you know, kind of focus on yourself. And then, you know, if you feel like that there is even the slightest chance of it, it's just really taking a step back and reflecting yeah. can do a lot. And, you know, and then you kind of just move things around a bit in your schedule Absolutely. and see how it works. Yeah, I love that. So the second challenge I want to talk about, you know, from a nonprofit perspective is the financial part or the business model part. So obviously you have to, you know, some invoices to pay, you have operating costs that you need to cover, but at the same time, you don't really have a real business model behind it where you can say, hey, we want to make money with this and that offering. So how do you balance that, you know, being a nonprofit, but still having to make some money to actually finance the operations? And then so that has actually been one of our biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. And then so at first we were, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, yeah everything is going to be great and dandy everybody's volunteering and so we're not going to have that many operating <laughs> costs yeah. and you know but but that's really <laughs> it's a very naive approach and then so we really had to figure out okay you know um we we had a lot of talks of okay well how are we going to structure this how how do we survive in the long term what is the the long-term goals and things like that and so for right now we we've really figured out that okay you know we have these courses from for let's say for schools or we host our own workshops and these mm -hmm. ones we we have no i guess we'll call it runway money and then but then you have other um for example i guess donations or crowdfundings or corporate sponsors where mm -hmm. they say hey like we would like this workshop we'll pay this much much amount um if you host one for us yeah. and for those ones we have those as runway and then so to kind of really fund the rest of the, the organization. Yeah. And so from that perspective, we are like, okay, um, for right mm -hmm. now, that that's that's how we function and it's been working great. And <laughs> we're very happy. <laughs> that That's a very fortunate, good situation to be in, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then, so um, I guess the only, I guess the one downside is that, for example, um, we, we want to do uh, more workshops in, let's say robotics. Mm -hmm. And so we have five robots right now. And then we want to go ha have another, I guess, 10 or 20. Mm -hmm. And then so that we could have like, instead of just a small class of robotics, we can have like parallel classes of robotics. Right. And then, but then the issue is, is then, you know, it's like, okay, well, we have to figure out how do we finance it. And then so for for us, it's like, okay, we, we look at how the next year is going to look, what kind of workshops we want to host, mm -hmm. how much money are we going to need for it? And then what do we use to subsidize those workshops yeah. because since we don't ask the, the actual parents to to go or the schools to really pay for those workshops right yeah mm -hmm. yeah you always have to find creative ways to yeah. uh, finance everything <laughs> then the last challenge i want to talk about is basically the recruiting of participants but also of talent to you know do the, and teach the classes how difficult is that for you? Because I can imagine after financing everything, you still need to have the people to bring everything together. And that's another big challenge to solve. Yeah. So it, it's been a huge, um, that's been, I guess, our biggest challenge by far. And, mm -hmm. you know, kind of reaching the girls. And when you have all of these, I guess, girls that their parents enroll them, we're getting a certain demographic. Yeah. And in order to, to make a, a huge difference is that we have instead of the girls coming to us, we should come, be coming to the girls. Right. And so um, what we one of our main goals is that we want to um, have been going to different public schools. Mm -hmm. And then so in the next couple of years, we've actually have, have now a plan and then it's in set that we're going to be um, in several public schools throughout the next few years. And so we're extremely excited. And we've seen that, you know, um, when you have the girls that we go to the schools, mm -hmm. they will actually send us an email back saying, hey, you know, I was at nice. this workshop at this school and, you know, I'm interested in this. And right now I'm mentoring one of those girls and she did an amazing job on her Matura project. And, you know, but it was it was just she had written an email saying like, hey, 
I had this great idea after the workshop and, you know, it's like, but I will kind of need help. I've never coded before. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, but you can see that difference that if you don't have parents that think that, you know, coding is, you know, a good skill to have, they're not going to enroll their kids in it. And then, but if you get to the kids first and then say, Hey, here, this is something cool. Just, you know, see if you like it. And then, then you can see, okay, this is how we actually make the difference. Mm -hmm. And so, but we've also seen like, we really struggled in the whole, you know, getting the participants as well, because it's really, you get a certain demographic and, you know, you get a certain, you can only reach a certain amount of people. And then, you know, but then you, you, for example, um, you know, in a rural area in in Switzerland, you know, you're, you might not be able to reach them because our reach isn't that far. And so really, um, I guess having collaborations throughout and being like, hey, we can go to this school or, or parents mm-hmm. being like, hey, let, let's go to this school. That that really makes a big difference. Yeah. That seems to be the, the perfect <laughs> model for, for your setup. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, if we again zoom out a bit to a topic we already briefly touched upon, if we globally look, women account only for 16% of managers in the information technology industry. And besides teaching and encouraging girls to code, how else can we change this from your perspective and experience? So I think that helping this, I guess, managers, um, so female managers getting into the next position, um, it is a gender neutral problem. So practically, okay. you you as a male or female can help um, another manager reach to the next potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if she's a female and you say, hey, you know, I want more female managers, then you can kind of figure out, okay, you know, how can I help her get to the next step, right? It's really having this, I I really love this sense of community where if you have a common goal saying, okay, you know, we are not represented in higher up, you know, C-level management Mm -hmm. positions, right? And so then how do we get actually women up there? And you um, as an individual saying, hey, you know, I can mentor her to get her up there or, you know, I can help her, you know, create a, a plan. And with this, when you have to, you ex- you help accelerate this this thing. And then so if we work as a team, then we can actually get there. <laughs> yeah, it takes all of us to mm-hmm. make it happen. Yeah. And then so, you know, if, if you help, if you have the possibility to mentor somebody or help them c- create a plan to get there, then, you know, you're, you're doing your job. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you look at the numbers you have, where Girls Code 2 offered more than 100 coding workshops, 102 to be exact, uh, with more than 500 attendants. And what have you planned for the next 12 months? Like, what are your biggest milestones for 2023 and beyond? Ooh, so right now we're actually doing a crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And so our plans for next year is we are, we've, gotten amazing feedback on our robotics workshops so we want to actually expand that and um, and we're hoping um when all goes to plan that we'll start to have a a coding um robotics coding team and mm-hmm. to help com- to help compete inside these lego robotics oh, nice. um, competitions yeah. and then so that would be really cool it's a dream and and then at the same time we really want to focus on having a lot more workshops that are hands-on and then so for it's really a a different way of learning, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of see, let's say, a a slate of LEDs and you're learning how to code and then you can kind of, when you code it and you can kind of see this light go up and then when another light next to it goes up, then you program the other one to turn off. You know, you get this really, this visual positive feedback Mm -hmm. and it's really a different way of type of learning and I think that, you know, kind of giving it this approach is, it's, a different way. And so we're going to try this, this kind of really having this artistic field of, hey, look, why don't you code um, an image on the the set of LEDs? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of showing like coding can be creative and that, you know, it's also hands on. You can visually see how it's happening. And then so then you have this positive reinforcement of like, okay, hey, like, you know, I can I can do this. And then you see something pretty at the very end of it. Um, that that's where our focus is is going to. So more of like, okay, hands on robotics and hands on LEDs, and so we're we're in the works of doing that, and so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, next year as well, we're hosting um, a mother daughter workshop, oh, and cool. yeah, so yeah. we're going to 
try that. And we were brainstorming today about, oh, you know, what if we kind of had it where it was more like a paired programming session where the kid will tell the mom what to do and mm -hmm. how they want it. And then they would switch and then they would just keep switching where the mom would then tell the kid what to do. And then, you know, it's kind of like it's very empowering for a kid to kind of make their own decisions and be like, hey, this is how I want it and things mm -hmm. like that. And then so we're going to go try that and see how that goes Super next cool. year. <laughs> I love your energy and passion when, you know, you talk about the future. I hope people can hear that <laughs> passion and the sparkling eyes about what you're about to build. So yeah. cool. So, so exciting. It's very, very exciting. So we'll, we'll see how the next year goes. And we'll also start um, in various schools in the French side next year. Wow. And yeah. so we're really, really excited to do so. Yeah. So that that's coming up and then we'll, we're putting that on the website soon. I think maybe February. <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. So, Laura, to wrap up to today's conversation, I have some rapid fire questions okay. for you. So I could either give you a simple question or different options to choose from. And you have to answer in one sentence. Okay. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Switzerland or the United States? I know that's a mean one to start. <laughs> Difficult. So one sentence. Ideally, let's see. Um, so Switzerland public transportation, U.S. small talk of, but with, with <laughs> um, grocery store workers. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All female team or mixed gender team? Mixed gender, definitely. Okay. <laughs> if you hadn't gone with crowdfunding, would you choose bootstrapping or Know, potentially going with a for-profit setup and VC money or something? Bootstrapping for oh. self-independence. Um, <laughs> I like that. And for peace of mind, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number one coding pet peeve? Ooh, um, bad documentation and outdated documentation. <laughs> uh, I think many people can relate to that. It's horrible. Uh. <laughs> What would you tell eight-year-old Lara if you could? Try as many activities as you possibly can, even though you suck at them. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful motivational sentence to end the conversation. <laughs> Lara, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Lots of success and all the best for the future. Thank you very much. And it's been an honor to be here. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.